thank Pastor Mark uh, for giving me the opportunity to preach this morning. Last week, just as a reminder, uh, Pastor Mark preached from Jonah chapter 2. We've been going through the book of Jonah. We're taking it a chapter at a time this month. And then we'll have our special prayer service at the, uh, on October 31st, as I mentioned. Uh, there were four lessons almost learned. The lesson of God's sovereign answer to prayer. The lesson of God's sovereign discipline. The lesson of God's sovereign grace. And the lesson of God's sovereign deliverance. So, wow, what a week. Have you listened to the news lately? It can be pretty depressing. Growing inflation, increasing gas prices, store shelves emptying out again, the crisis on the border, and the list could go on and on. I think our country is actually, actually does need a second chance for God to move. What do y'all think? Yeah. Do you ever feel like you need a second chance? I know I do. Are you needing some encouragement right now, especially after what I just kind of depressed you with, right? I know y'all are all experiencing it as we all are. Well, we need God's help. We need his help now. We need his help this morning in our lives. Do I have your attention? Good. Listen now to this true story about Melissa Murmert. She runs a nonprofit organization that helps to provide job skills for women who are released from prison. By the way, I appreciate our prison ministry that we're a part of with Ruth Ann as we've been giving and helping in that way. So Melissa recently found that something more was needed. The women would come out of prison into the working world with these stellar skills and stellar resumes, but employers just weren't hiring people with criminal records. So she says, we decided we'll just create a business and we'll just create jobs ourselves. So as a result, Melissa opened a restaurant in Charlotte, North Carolina in 2013. At Second Helping, what a name, the women worked as cooks, servers, and managers. Melissa used her worldly good to help others in order to give these women encouragement and a second chance, which was greatly needed after being in prison. Just as these women were encouraged and given a second chance, I'm sure each of you could say the same thing for your life. So listen closely to this message on three exhortations given from Jonah chapter 3. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for your word. God, I pray that each person here will not hear me, but they will hear the truth of your word. God, that you will move in us, in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit move. God, and for that one person who does not know you, God, that they would be drawn to you because your word will not return void. God, we just thank you for this time that we can just set aside just a little bit of time to allow you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you haven't gotten your Bible out, go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 3. If you don't have one, there should be one in the chair in front of you. I know sometimes we forget them or be careful on our phones, right? It's easy to get distracted, you know. So I uh, just want to encourage you, find your Bibles. So just to refresh your memory from last week, the Lord has commanded the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land at the at the end of Jonah chapter 2. Can you imagine witnessing that? You know. Now, you know, he wasn't thrown up right at, at Nineveh, just so you know. So we're going to be picking up uh, as Jonah is getting ready to go to Nineveh, and we're going to look at the first exhortation, which is God gives a second chance to his rebellious people. God gives a second chance to his rebellious people. Look with me at verse 1 in chapter 3. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying. See, God's speaking to Jonah a second time. It's very similar to Jonah 1.1, where rebellious Jonah was also given a word from the Lord. It's almost repeated exactly. In spite of Jonah's earlier refusal, he has kind of a fresh opportunity to fulfill the God-given mission to go to Nineveh. This is coming after Jonah repents after being inside that great fish, his prayer. So I guess we all would have repented at that point after being in that fish, right? Pretty gross. So God gives Jonah a second chance. Jonah must preach the message that God gives him. And God, in his goodness and mercy, he's going to allow Jonah to play just a small part in the salvation of the Ninevites. We know of another person who gets a second chance. His name is Peter. Maybe you're familiar with this story in Luke 22. After Jesus had been arrested, Peter denies Jesus three times. First, it was to a girl at the door at the courtyard. Second, to a servant girl by the fire in the same courtyard. And then a third denial is by a man by the fire also in the courtyard. So he's there denying him, and then, of course, the rooster crows. Now pick up with me at John 21, 15 through 17. You're welcome to turn there if you want or just listen. Jesus is on the beach after his resurrection. I like the beach. Do you all like the beach? Okay, some people say I've been there too much lately this summer. Jen Jen has said that to me. Anyhow, it's important to relax, right? All right. So Jesus is on the beach after the resurrection. He's fixing some fish and some bread. That's my kind of meal, especially the bread. So uh, verse 15, so when they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him, the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. What a tender time that Jesus gives Peter during this time. He, d- he restores him three times, just like he denied him three times. God is a God of second chances. Aren't you glad of that? I'm sure we've had actually second, third, and fourth chances, right? Many times. Unfortunately, though, I need to share with you, Peter fails in that mission to do what God told him and the other disciples to do. Remember, they were supposed to leave Jerusalem and spread the good news to everyone, including the Gentiles, but he didn't do that. The persecution resulted, and he eventually sends uh, Paul out uh, to the Gentiles. So sometimes we kind of forget what God's taught us. Again, we're forgetful of the mission that God's called us to, and we need to remember that mission. So just like Jonah and just like Peter, We're rebellious people, and if God wants to, though, he can give us a second chance. Where have you been given that second chance by God? Has that happened recently? Is there someone maybe you need to give a second chance to? Do you need to offer forgiveness to that person? Right? People offend us. People hurt us. Give them that second chance, just like God gives us that second chance. Peter forgot the mission God called him to. Have you forgotten the mission that God's called us to? Building believers who reach others for Christ? Using those opportunities to uh, invite people to church or to share the gospel? We need to be about doing that. So God gives a second chance to his rebellious people. The next exhortation is, 
God gives his people a message to proclaim. Just a hint, they get longer as we go on, okay? So don't think we're going to get out of here so quick. All right, pick up in verse, uh, verses 2, 3, 4 and look along with me. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. From verse 2, Jonah was given a specific marching orders. We get marching orders about his destination. He was reminded that the message would come not from him or from anyone else, but from the Lord, as it says the word of the Lord. And that means it's coming directly from God. He's sending the message. His job, though, was to just call out or proclaim the message, not to revise it, just to proclaim it. We've been called out to proclaim the message. After Jonah had been vomited on that dry land, it probably took him about a month by camel or donkey to travel the nearly 500 miles to Nineveh. Long distance. Again, he wasn't thrown up right there. Of course, God could have done that, but he didn't. Now, this three-day walk in verse 3 is unclear. It may mean it took three days to walk around the huge city, or it may mean that it took Jonah three days to deliver his message. So, by the way, do you think he was pretty excited to share that message? You know, 40 days to repent. You know, he may not have been too excited because of the Ninevites. I don't know. But we need to have a, a great proclamation. In the context of Jonah, the second chance is another opportunity to partner with God in his mission. Specifically, a mission to speak the word of judgment. Notice it's speaking a word of judgment to an evil city. The word of judgment, though, was the grace of God warning the city what's to come. That's what's being proclaimed here. The message from the Lord communicated by Jonah was relatively short one, right? In Hebrew, it was five words long. Either way, we know that from verse 4 that he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the message. Yet 40 days and then it will be overthrown. Is that going to convict you? Well, the overthrow part would. So we'll see more about that. So Jonah felt about the people uh, of Nineveh as they were the Israelites' greatest enemy. He didn't feel so good about them. He didn't like them. He actually hated them. You know, hate can be, can be very damaging. We'll see this in a minute. We can only imagine how that message was delivered to God's people. The discussion of warning and judgment in this passage should lead us to the recognition of several key points. First, the message refers to the seriousness of sin. Guys, there was a seriousness of the sin, as well as the certainty of God's judgment. I don't know, maybe you feel like that looming judgment even here. Nineveh was exceedingly wicked and a violent city, and this did not escape God's notice. Overthrown or overturned, as maybe your translation, is from the verb hapek which is also used to describe the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that is described in Genesis 19, 24 and 25. Let me share that with you. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities, all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. So what does this have to do with us? In the public arena, when I think of our own country today and the sins that we face, God will be just in how he will respond to us as a nation. You know, we have many of the same sin problems as Sodom and Gomorrah with the rampant rights and privileges of those given to the homosexuals. We live in a culture that is doing everything it can to make this sin just a natural part of life. In fact, it's an abomination to God. 
I'm sure you've even heard of different things with all the different uh, transgender and lawsuits and all the things that have been going on. I even heard it recently on the news. Another major area of sin that we as a nation face is the area of abortion. It's estimated, y'all, that over 65 million babies have been murdered over the years in this country alone since Roe versus Wade. And that may even be a small estimate. 65 million babies. I don't know if you know this, but in our own life, we have a son, uh, his name is Halton, and uh, when Pam was pregnant with Halton, uh, the doctors even uh, had suggested, because he had, they thought he had spina bifida, they thought that uh, we should get an abortion. You know, we were even faced with that, that choice and that decision, and that was back in 1991. You know, that, that's just prevalent in our country today. Maybe you've had an abortion. God wants to restore you, and I want you to know that the elders are here for you, we want to help you. So please come to us. Hear our hearts on that. But I need to remind you, just recently, Texas Senate Bill 8 was recently passed, which prohibits all abortions after a fetal heartbeat's detected. How many of you have heard at least that bill? At least heard about it. Okay, good. It's important. Typically, uh, around six weeks is that heartbeat uh, is heard on a pregnancy, except in cases of medical emergencies. That's what this uh, bill talked about as far as abortion. Recently, this law came to the Supreme Court, and in a 5-4 court vote, the Supreme Court decided to not block the law on the day it went into effect. After this happened, though, a federal lawsuit was filed by President Biden. Biden slammed the Supreme Court's ruling as in, this is a quote from him, an unprecedented assault on women's constitutional rights under Roe versus Wade, that landmark 1973 ruling that enshrined the right to an abortion, and said in a statement, the decision unleashes unconstitutional chaos. He then said this, Biden called for an immediate response to the law and he directed his administration's Gender Policy Council and Office of the White House Council to launch, listen, a whole of government effort to take action to counteract the Texas law. Biden goes on to say the effort will specifically look at the steps of the Department of Health and Human Services and Department of Justice and they can take to provide abortion, excuse me, services and the Department of Justice can take to provide abortion access to Texans and what legal tools can be used to fight against the law. So that's what he wants. In addition to the White House, Congress also vowed to take steps to combat the Texas abortion ban. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said in a statement in the chamber of the House that the chamber of the House would take up the Women's Health Protection Act, which would enshrine the right to an abortion in federal law. This is not good, guys. Now, I remind you which political party is doing all this. It's so important that we vote in a way that is pleasing to God and His Word, no matter what. We have to. Guys, this can't go on. Just as during the time of Jonah and the sins of the Ninevites, as well as in every age, God recognizes and condemns what is unholy and unjust. And there will be judgment, including us and our own nation. You see, God uses us, the believers, as his messengers of truth. We have a message to proclaim, right? We're to warn others. We're not to sit back and hide our light. We are God's ambassadors. We must be the ones to take the stand against all sin. How do I know this? Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Listen to what it says as Jesus says this. You are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Guys, you and I are called to be the light in this dark world. We've got to get involved and take a stand against abortion as well as other areas of sin in this country. Just like many of you took a stand participating in the Stop Human Trafficking walk yesterday. That's why I'm wearing this shirt as a reminder. By the way, if you helped in any way with the walk, would you please stand up? I want to recognize you. If you helped in the walk in any way, stand up, get up on your feet, stretch your legs, wake up. All right? Yes, give them a hand. Appreciate each one of them. Be seated. From my understanding from Rachel, we had 84 people from uh, our church as well as others who took part in some way. Praise the Lord. And I want to thank Rachel. Rachel, where are you? Stand up. Yes, you're going to stand up. We appreciate you. Leading us out in this awareness. And again, wear the shirts. Do things to continue to make this awareness. There's a lot of harm going on. And this is, this is ramping up in our state, in our country, guys. And it's a sin. We need to take a stand. So how does God give you opportunities to warn others about judgment? As well as to tell others about Christ personally and publicly. Are you taking those opportunities? Whether it's those little cards passing out or sharing a word at your work or in your home, or in your school? When was the last time you warned those around you of the coming judgment of God? Guys, it's crazy where we are in this world. I was talking with Howard Hull on the walk yesterday. You know, it, it may seem like, yeah, every generation is facing that judgment, right? Or God's coming back. We don't know when, but guys, it's ramping up. The evil in this world, we need to tell others. We need to be like Jonah and not run at least the, the second time. What prevents you from warning others of God's just judgment, whether in the area in you live or in these public arenas that God's called us to? So God gives us a second chance to his rebellious people. God gives his people a message to proclaim. And the third and final exhortation is, God gives grace to an unbelieving world. God gives grace to an unbelieving world. We'll spend a little time here So I hope your Bibles are still open. We're going to pick up in verse 5 and go through 10, the rest of this chapter. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man... Beast, herd, or flock, taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we may not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared. He would bring upon them, and he did not, excuse me, he would, he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So he relented here. I don't know about you, but I want to know how you put sackcloth on donkeys and all kinds of animals. <laughs> I kind of would like to see that. Yeah, I guess kind of on their back, or how do they get around? I don't know. 
that was some serious repenting that was going on. You see, upon hearing the message, the people believed in God. Can you imagine that? How quick, just those few words. They put on sackcloth. Why? Mourning, okay, for their sins. They proclaimed a fast to show their sincere repentance. The king dressed in sackcloth and sat in ashes, proclaiming that no one, nobles, people, or even animals should eat or drink. So, by avoiding, avoiding these normal comforts and making themselves physically miserable, the Ninevites sought to show the genuineness of their prayers for mercy. They were trying to be genuine, to receive God's grace here. This action, again, was an attempt to impress forcibly upon the Lord the sincerity of, of Nineveh's repentance. They were trying to make a point. It was an attempt to move the heart of God and lead him to repent. I mean, they're going to be destroyed. That's what's going on here. Again, they were using every opportunity and option available. Perhaps they also uh, felt that combining their cries of sorrow with the pleading of the animals for water and food could use, could rise one more mighty prayer for mercy to this God who threatened their destruction. The passion of the Ninevites' repentance, it was real. Our repentance needs to be real. They didn't know the Israelites' God. Again, remember, normally God's kind of going out and declaring to the Israelites and the people of their sin. This is to a Gentile people. That's what's going on here. They didn't know this God. But they were doing everything in their power to say, I'm sorry with their actions. They didn't even know if God was going to forgive them. But they sure were determined to try. You know, some even wonder, was this true conversion? That occurred with the Ninevites. To argue a genu genuine conversion must have taken place. We have to look back at the words of Jesus in Luke 11:32. He reminds us, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. What does he say they did? For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Well, my message isn't as short as Jonah. I'm sorry, guys, those five words or so. But, uh, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here, right? Jesus is referring to him, but they repented. You know, it's hard to deny that at least some of, some of the Ninevites were genuinely converted. Furthermore, God would not have lifted his hand of judgment if the Ninevites had been acting out of hypocrisy. It was true repentance. The last command in verse 8 says, Let men call on God earnestly and that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. There was much violence in the hands of the Ninevites. Maybe you remember what Pastor Mark said last Sunday. The Ninevites would flay people. That's pretty gross. It involved their skin being torn off. They would pierce people on the stakes. They were very skilled in this atrocity that many people lived for days as they were skewed like human shish kebabs. Guys, they were a violent, horrible people. The violence and wicked ways and hatred that the Ninevites displayed is the same violence and hatred and wickedness that led actually to the first murder back in Genesis 4, 6 through 8. Let me remind you what that says. It said, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will, you, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and it's desirous for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in, in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. See, this was the first murder. This was extreme wickedness. It was, it was horrible. Genesis 6, 11 and 12 says, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. 
God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Again, this is when God flooded the earth in judgment. Well, there's a lot of wickedness in our world today, besides abortion, abortion and sex trafficking. There's another form of wickedness showing up in a subtle way called critical race theory, or CRT. Okay, don't turn me off. I know it's easy just because I use those letters, all right, in our world today, in this church. But I want you to listen to what I'm trying to say. Maybe you've heard this in the news this past week. It really is important. A Virginia mom, Zai Van Fleet, who in, endured Ma, Mao's cultural revolution in China. That was a cultural revolution in China that was horrible. Before immigrating to the U.S., uh, said the National School Boards Association and Justice Department, she said that they are using tactics similar to the ones she saw in communist China to stop parents from speaking out. Do you understand what she's saying? She's saying the same things that were going on in China is going on here in the school boards. Van Fleet told Fox News, this is a quote from her, when I was in China, I spent my entire school years in the Chinese Cultural Revolution. So I'm very, very familiar with the communist tactics of how to divide people. Wow, that's happening, dividing people. How they cancel the Chinese tradition culture. Where do we hear that happening? And destroyed our heritage. If you're paying attention in the schools and what's going on in our world today, you know the same things are happening, guys. It's happening in America. They called them racist for a long time, she said, but that did not work. She said they're now referring to parents who have spoken out about critical race theory now as domestic terrorists. Did anyone hear that, that they've been called domestic terrorists? I just want to know if I'm just talking to me. If not, and students and adults, you need to be aware. Domestic terrorists, really? That's what you are as parents? Van Fleet, who made headlines in June when she addressed the Loudoun County School Board over her concerns about critical race theory, has joined parents in neighboring Fairfax County who are denouncing the DOJ's efforts. As Van Fleet said, the DOJ, Department of Justice, is now calling these parents who take a stand domestic terrorists. It's absolutely crazy what's going on. Back in June, Van Fleet said, you're now teaching and training our children to be social justice warriors and to loathe our country and our history. She likens CRT, which critics deride as a form of neo-racism, to China's cultural revolution. Just recently, Van Fleet asked, what's the next step? Is the Tiananmen Square crackdown? Some of you may not know what that happened, but there were thousands that were possibly killed then. She's saying, is it the next thing for parents who one day risk their lives just to speak out for their children? Is that what's going to happen? See, the church is and will continue to be affected by the wicked ways and the violence going on in this country, including CRT. As believers, we have to take a stand and get involved, or we may not even have a church to attend. Again, you may disagree with what I'm saying, but I'm just telling you how I see it too. What public and political impact of Jonah's message of judgment are you making as a Christian? We have to sound the alarm. What impact is our church making? I hope you still have your Bibles open. Look with me now at Jonah 3, 9 through 10. It says, Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, they turned from their wicked way 
Then God relented concerning the calamity which he declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. See, God spares Nineveh. This is God's desire all along. When God sees the people turn from their wicked ways, he relents of his threat of destruction. God had spared Jonah in chapter 2, and now he spares Nineveh. God, in his grace, allows men a chance to change their minds and actions to avert judgment. I hope that we will do the same here. We see a similar situation in 2 Samuel 24, beginning with verse 10. Now David's heart troubled him, and after he numbered the people, so David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. I mean, he just counted the people, but he disobeyed God, and it was wickedness. The prophet Gad comes to David with three options from God to deal with David's sin. Don't you want options sometimes from God when you've sinned or whatever's going on? I don't know. Listen to what happened for his options. Uh, or there were three of them. So he actually picks uh, the next, the one that God would affect in 2 Samuel 24, 14 through 16. Then David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Let us now fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. That was what was going to happen with man. But he says, I want to fall in the hands of God. So verse 15, so the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from morning until the appointed time, and 70,000 men of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. That's a lot of people. But then when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, it says in that verse, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, it is enough, now relax your hand. Wow, we need the relenting hand of God. So the same relenting hand of God is found also with his people in Psalm 106, 44 and 45. Nevertheless, he looked upon the distress when he heard their cry, the people's cry of Israel. And he remembered his covenant for their sake, and he relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. That's his grace. That's his loving kindness toward them that we need and that we've received just for us uh, in salvations. God's mercies are always unmerited. They have nothing to do with us. His grace is never earned. You know, I, I, I was taught that it was more of by works, and it's not by works. It's nothing that we can earn or do. It's unmerited. It's what he did on that cross. Repentance is never a work to be rewarded. But this is not to say that God doesn't uh, act in response to such repentance. As a matter of fact, Nineveh's repentance delayed God's destruction of the city for about 150 years. But the people evidently fell into sin again, and the city was destroyed in 612 B.C., we read about this in Nahum. So did you hear what happened? Their repentance and their way with God only lasted about 150 years. Makes me wonder about the judgment of God isn't happening today in the United States. I mean, we've only been in existence for a couple of hundred years. You know, we kind of seem invincible. Guys, it can still happen. In Jonah 3, the people of Nineveh repented of their sins repentance is important you know we need repentance in our nation we need a revival guys we need God to do a work and it has to begin with us as his people again repentance was important then and it's important in the life of us as believers you know we have the Holy Spirit in us as believers 
That's who reveals the sin in our lives, and it's important to confess that sin to God. This allows us to continue to experience God's grace, his restoration, as he restores that relationship back with him. So important. To maybe God, today, maybe God has revealed to you that you are sim- in a similar way, and you've never repented of your sin. You know, salvation is by grace through faith. It's not anything of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not that we can boast about it. You see, no one is good enough. No, not one is righteous, not even one. The only righteous person was Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can save you of your sin. The reason he can even do this is because he's the one who went to that cross, died and was buried, and he rose again on that third day, and he's going to one day return. And I know we look forward to that. Are you trusting Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? Do you believe Jesus is the only way that he is the truth and the life? Do you depend on him alone to save you? The word faith, an acronym says, forsaking all, I trust him. Faith, forsaking all, I trust him. That's what needs to happen. So examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. And if not, then repent of your sins. And by faith, trust in Jesus and surrender him today and be saved. Well, do you remember Melissa who started the nonprofit restaurant, a second helping She gave those women a a second chance who were coming out of prison, who worked for her. Well, there's another person who got a second chance, and his name is Relapili. Listen to this missionary story. This is what was said. I understand that you are a missionary, said the stranger who came to our gate. I want to know about Jesus. I have visited many churches, but no one has been able to teach me about Jesus. Do you have a Bible, and will you teach me? The Holy Spirit was already at work in this man's heart. He was teaching, excuse me, he was searching for the truth about God. And he was given the opportunity to, be, to introduce him to Jesus. In time, Relapili became a Christian and a strong witness for Jesus Christ. You see, he had been the village drunk. He was always in trouble. Now he gave his testimony wherever he went, how God had changed his life. Are you doing that? He gave up drinking, read his Bible daily, and brought other people to Bible study. Before Rapili died from AIDS, he helped to plant a church in his home village. God knew Relapili and claimed him as his own. He saw his beloved child and said, Relapili is mine. You see, it didn't matter that he had AIDS or a drunken past. He saw Relapili for who he could be in Christ. Often, We only reach out to those we think have a chance for repentance, but God desires for all sinners to come to him. Maybe you know someone like Relapili that you think is too engrossed in sin or too set in their ways to change, but now after what happened in Jonah 3, your thoughts are this person has changed. Those Ninevites were pretty horrible people. So now, what are you going to do about it? Will you now take the time to share the gospel with that person? Do you ever wonder if God can turn things around? Or do you think that our country is too far gone and it's disorder and evil? It's not. How's our church doing with the mission God has given us? How can we improve as a church, as believers? So remember our three exhortations. They are, God gives a second chance to his rebellious people. God gives his people a message to proclaim. And God gives grace to an unbelieving world. Would you take some time to pray with me now? 
God, I thank you so much for this message from Jonah. God, it's a hard one for us to hear, but also a wonderful one to see your grace. God, I pray for that one person in this room, or two, or three, who need to repent and by faith trust you. God, I pray right where they are, God, that they would repent of their sins and trust you, Jesus, right now. God, that they would get together with with me or one of the others that they know and share what their surrender, their salvation. God, I also pray for our president, for the house, for our vice president. God, for this nation. God, may we be a people who are praying for them every day for decisions that need to be made. God, we pray that you would turn their hearts to you. God, I pray that you would bring people across their path, God, to share the truth. God, that there would be repentance not only for them, but for our nation. God, I pray that each one of us will go and proclaim the truth. God, will not stand, that we will not be afraid, that we'll take the stand, God, that you've called us to proclaim, to be your ambassadors. God, I just pray that as, as you've shown us what needs to happen, God, God, that we will obey you, that we'll not run from you as you called us. God, I thank you that you've given us a second chance and many other chances. God, help us to not take it for granted. God, we love you and we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, again, we've already covered the announcements. Just put your Connect uh, card in the box. And uh, I do want to pray for the offering. Sorry, let me go ahead and pray for us now. God, I thank you for the offering that uh, you've provided to give to, back to this church. God, we just thank you. Pray that we'll use it to further your kingdom, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand with us as we uh, sing together a closing song.